Chapters twenty one and twenty two of the Torrents of Spring by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty one. It was quite morning when he fell asleep, and no wonder, in the blast of that instantaneous summer hurricane, he had almost as instantaneously felt not that Gemma was lovely, not that he liked her that he had known before but that he almost loved her as suddenly as that blast of wind had love pounced down upon him and then this senseless duel he began to be tormented by mournful forebodings and even suppose they didn't kill him what could come of his love for this girl another man's betrothed even supposing this other man was no danger that gemma herself would care for him or even cared for him already what would come of it how ask what such a lovely creature he walked about the room sat down to the table took a sheet of paper traced a few lines on it and at once blotted them out he recalled gemma's wonderful figure in the dark window in the starlight set all a-fluttering by the warm hurricane he remembered her marble arms like the arms of the olympian goddesses felt their living weight on his shoulders then he took the rose she had thrown him and it seemed to him that its half-withered petals exhaled a fragrance of her more delicate than the ordinary scent of the rose and would they kill him straight away or maim him he did not go to bed and fell asleep in his clothes on the sofa someone slapped him on the shoulder he opened his eyes and saw pantaleone he sleeps like alexander of macedon on the eve of the battle of babylon cried the old man what o'clock is it inquired sanin a quarter to seven it's a two hours drive to hanau and we must be the first on the field russians are always beforehand with their enemies i have engaged the best carriage in frankfort sanin began washing and where are the pistols that ferrofluk totodesco will bring the pistols he'll bring a doctor too pantaleone was obviously putting a good face on it as he had done the day before but when he was seated in the carriage with sanin when the coachman had cracked his whip and the horses had started off at a gallop a sudden change came over the old singer and friend of paduan dragoons he began to be confused and positively faint-hearted something seemed to have given way in him like a badly built wall what are we doing my god santissima madonna he cried in an unexpectedly high pipe and he clutched at his head what am i about old fool madman frenetico sanin wondered and laughed and putting his arm lightly round pantaleone's waist he reminded him of the french proverb le vent attiré il faut le boire yes yes answered the old man we will drain the cup together to the dregs but still i am a madman i am a madman 
all was going on so quietly so well and all of a sudden ta 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 tra ta ta like the tutti in the orchestra observed sanin with a forced smile but it's not your fault i know it's not i should think not indeed and yet such insolent conduct diavolo diavolo repeated pantaleone sighing and shaking his topknot the carriage still rolled on and on it was an exquisite morning the streets of frankfort which were just beginning to show signs of life looked so clean and snug the windows of the houses glittered in flashes like tinfoil and as soon as the carriage had driven beyond the city walls from overhead from a blue but not yet glaring sky the lark's loud trills showered down in floods suddenly at a turn in the road a familiar figure came from behind a tall poplar took a few steps forward and stood still sanin looked more closely heavens it was emil but does he know anything about it he demanded of pantaleone i tell you i am a madman the poor italian wailed despairingly almost in a shriek the wretched boy gave me no peace all night and this morning at last i revealed all to him so much for your segredezza thought sanin the carriage had got up to emil sanin told the coachman to stop the horses and called the wretched boy up to him emil approached with hesitating steps pale as he had been on the day he fainted he could scarcely stand what are you doing here sanin asked him sternly why aren't you at home let let me come with you faltered emil in a trembling voice and he clasped his hands his teeth were chattering as in a fever i won't get in your way only take me if you feel the very slightest affection or respect for me said sanin you will go at once home or to her clubber's shop and you won't say one word to any one and will wait for my return your return moaned emil and his voice quivered and broke but if you're emil sanin interrupted and he pointed to the coachman do control yourself emil please go home listen to me my dear you say you love me well i beg you he held out his hand to him emil bent forward sobbed pressed it to his lips and darting away from the road ran back towards frankfort across country a noble heart too muttered pantaleone but sanin glanced severely at him the old man shrank into the corner of the carriage he was conscious of his fault and moreover he felt more and more bewildered every instant could it really be he who was acting as second who had got horses and had made all arrangements and had left his peaceful abode at six o'clock besides his legs were stiff and aching sanin thought it as well to cheer him up and he chanced on the very thing he hit on the right word where is your spirit signor cipatola where is il antico valor signor cipatola drew himself up and scowled il antico valor he boomed in a bass voice 
Non è ancora spento. It's not all lost yet. Il antico valor. He put himself in a dignified attitude, began talking of his career, of the opera, of the great tenor Garcia, and arrived at Hanau a hero. After all, if you think of it, nothing is stronger in the world and weaker than a word. 22. The copse in which the duel was to take place was a quarter of a mile from Hanau. Sanin and Pantaleone arrived there first, as the latter had predicted. They gave orders for the carriage to remain outside the wood, and they plunged into the shade of the rather thick and close-growing trees. They had to wait about an hour. The time of waiting did not seem particularly disagreeable to Sanin. He walked up and down the path, listened to the birds singing, watched the dragonflies in their flight, and like the majority of Russians in similar circumstances, tried not to think. He only once dropped into reflection. He came across a young lime tree, broken down, in all probability by the squall of the previous night. It was unmistakably dying. All the leaves on it were dead. What is it? An omen? was the thought that flashed across his mind, but he promptly began whistling, leaped over the very tree, and paced up and down the path. As for Pantaleone, he was grumbling, abusing the Germans, sighing and moaning, rubbing first his back and then his knees. He even yawned from agitation, which gave a very comic expression to his tiny shriveled-up face. Sanin could scarcely help laughing, when he looked at him. They heard at last the rolling of wheels along the soft road. It's they, said Pantaleone, and he was on the alert and drew himself up, not without a momentary nervous shiver, which he made haste, however, to cover with the ejaculation brrr, and the remark that the morning was rather fresh. A heavy dew drenched the grass and leaves, but the sultry heat penetrated even into the wood. Both the officers quickly made their appearance under its arched avenues. They were accompanied by a little thick-set man with a phlegmatic, almost sleepy expression of face, the army doctor. He carried in one hand an earthenware pitcher of water to be ready for any emergency, a satchel with surgical instruments and bandages hung on his left shoulder. It was obvious that he was thoroughly used to such excursions. They constituted one of the sources of his income. Each duel yielded him eight gold crowns, four from each of the combatants. Herr von Richter carried a case of pistols. Herr von Dönhoff, probably considering it the thing, was swinging in his hand a little cane. Pantaleone, Sanin whispered to the old man, if, if I'm killed... Anything may happen. Take out of my side pocket a paper. There is a flower wrapped up in it, and give the paper to Signorina Gemma. Do you hear? You promise? The old man looked dejectedly at him and nodded his head affirmatively. But God knows whether he understood what Sanin was asking him to do. The combatants and the seconds exchanged the customary bows. The doctor alone did not move as much as an eyelash. He sat down yawning on the grass as much as to say, 
I am not here for expressions of chivalrous courtesy. Herr von Richter proposed to Herr Cibadola that he should select the place. Herr Cibadola responded, moving his tongue with difficulty, the wall within him had completely given way again. You act, my dear sir, I will watch. And Herr von Richter proceeded to act. He picked out in the wood close by a very pretty clearing, all studded with flowers. He measured out the steps and marked the two extreme points with sticks, which he cut and pointed. He took the pistols out of the case, and, squatting on his heels, he rammed in the bullets. In short, he fussed about and exerted himself to the utmost, continually mopping his perspiring brow with a white handkerchief. Pantaleone, who accompanied him, was more like a man frozen. During all these preparations, the two principals stood at a little distance, looking like two schoolboys who have been punished and are sulky with their tutors. The decisive moment arrived. Each took his pistol. But at this point, Herr von Richter observed to Pantaleone that it was his duty as the senior second according to the rules of the duel, to address a final word of advice, an exhortation to be reconciled to the combatants, before uttering the final one, two, three, that although this exhortation had no effect of any sort and was, as a rule, nothing but an empty formality, still, by the performance of this formality, Herr Cipatola would be rid of a certain share of responsibility that, Properly speaking, such an admonition formed the direct duty of the so-called impartial witness, unparteiischer Zeuge, but since they had no such person present, he, Herr von Richter, would readily yield this privilege to his honoured colleague. Pantaleone, who had already succeeded in obliterating himself behind a bush, so as not to see the offending officer at all, at first made out nothing at all of Herr von Richter's speech, especially as it had been delivered through the nose, but all of a sudden he started, stepped hurriedly forward, and convulsively, thumping at his chest in a hoarse voice, wailed out in his mixed jargon, Ah, la, 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 che bestialità! I will not consent to a reconciliation, Sanin intervened hurriedly. And I too will not, his opponent repeated after him. Well, then shout one, two, three, von Richter said, addressing the distracted Pantaleone. The latter promptly ducked behind the bush again, and from there, all huddled together, his eyes screwed up, and his head turned away, he shouted at the top of his voice, Una, due, tre. The first shot was Sanin's, and he missed. His bullet went ping against a tree. Baron von Dönhoff shocked directly after him, intentionally to one side into the air. A constrained silence followed. No one moved. Pantaleone uttered a faint moan. "'Is it your wish to go on?' said Dönhoff. "'Why did you shoot in the air?' 
inquired Sanin. That's nothing to do with you. Will you shoot in the air the second time? Sanin asked again. Possibly. I don't know. Excuse me, excuse me, gentlemen, began von Richter. Duelists have not the right to talk together. That's out of order. I decline my shot, said Sanin, and he threw his pistol on the ground. And I too do not intend to go on with the duel, cried Dönhoff, and he too threw his pistol on the ground. And more than that, I am prepared to own that I was in the wrong, the day before yesterday. He moved uneasily, and hesitatingly held out his hand. Sanin went rapidly up to him and shook it. Both the young men looked at each other with a smile, and both their faces flushed crimson. Bravi! Bravi! Pantaleone roared suddenly as if he had gone mad, and clapping his hands he rushed like a whirlwind from behind the bush, while the doctor, who had been sitting on one side on a felled tree, promptly rose, poured the water out of the jug, and walked off with a lazy rolling step out of the wood. Honor is satisfied, and the duel is over, von Richter announced. Fuori! Pantaleone boomed once more through old associations. When he had exchanged bows with the officers and taken his seat in the carriage, Sanin certainly felt all over him, if not a sense of pleasure, at least a certain lightness of heart, as after an operation is over. But there was another feeling astir within him too, a feeling akin to shame. The duel in which he had just played his part struck him as something false, a got-up formality, a common officer's and student's farce. He recalled the phlegmatic doctor, he recalled how he had grinned, that is, wrinkled up his nose when he saw him coming out of the wood almost arm-in-arm arm with Baron Dönhoff and afterwards when Pantaleone had paid him the four crowns due to him, ah, there was something nasty about it. Yes, Sanin was a little conscious, smitten and ashamed, though on the other hand, what was there for him to have done? Could he have left the young officer's insolence unrebuked? Could he have behaved like Herr Kluber? He had stood up for Gemma, he had championed her, that was so, and yet there was an uneasy pang in his heart, and he was conscience-smitten, and even ashamed. Not so Pantaleone, who was simply in his glory. He was suddenly possessed by a feeling of pride, a victorious general returning from the field of battle he has won, could not have looked about him with greater self-satisfaction. Sanin's demeanor during the duel filled him with enthusiasm. He called him a hero, and would not listen to his exhortations and even his entreaties. He compared him to a monument of marble or of bronze, with the statue of the commander in Don Juan. For himself he admitted he had been conscious of some perturbation of mind, but of course I am an artist, he observed, I have a highly strong nature while you are the son of the snows and the granite rocks. Sanin was positively at a loss how to quiet the jubilant artist. Almost at the same place in the road where two hours before they had come upon Emil, 
he again jumped out from behind a tree and with a cry of joy upon his lips waving his cap and leaping into the air he rushed straight at the carriage almost fell under the wheel and without waiting for the horses to stop clambered up over the carriage door and fairly clung to sanin you are alive you are not wounded he kept repeating forgive me i did not obey you i did not go back to frankfurt i could not i waited for you here tell me how was it you killed him sanin with some difficulty pacified emil and made him sit down with great verbosity with evident pleasure pantaleone communicated to him all the details of the duel and of course did not omit to refer again to the monument of bronze and the statue of the commander he even rose from his seat and standing with his feet wide apart to preserve his equilibrium folding his arms on his chest and looking contemptuously over his shoulder gave an ocular representation of the commander sanin emil listened with awe occasionally interrupting the narrative with an exclamation or swiftly getting up and as swiftly kissing his heroic friend the carriage wheels rumbled over the paved roads of frankfurt and stopped at last before the hotel where sanin was living escorted by his two companions he went up the stairs when suddenly a woman came with hurried steps out of the dark corridor her face was hidden by a veil she stood still facing sanin wavered a little gave a trembling sigh at once ran down into the street and vanished to the great astonishment of the waiter who explained that that lady had been for over an hour waiting for the return of the foreign gentleman momentary as was the apparition sanin recognized gemma he recognized her eyes under the thick silk of her brown veil did fräulein gemma know then he said slowly in a displeased voice in german addressing emil and pantaleone who were following close on his heels emil blushed and was confused i, I was obliged to tell her all he faltered she guessed and i could not help it but now that's of no consequence he hurried to add eagerly everything has ended so splendidly and she has seen you well and uninjured sanin turned away what a couple of chatterboxes you are he observed in a tone of annoyance as he went into his room and sat down on a chair don't be angry please emil implored very well i won't be angry sanin was not in fact angry and after all he could hardly have desired that gemma should know nothing about it very well that's enough embracing you get along now i want to be alone i'm going to sleep i'm tired an excellent idea cried pantaleone you need repose you have fully earned it noble signor come along emilio on tiptoe on tiptoe when he said he wanted to go to sleep sanin had simply wished to get rid of his companions but when he was left alone he was really aware of considerable weariness in all his limbs he had hardly closed his eyes all the preceding night and throwing himself on his bed he fell immediately into a sound sleep end of chapters 21 and 22